Welcome back everyone to our latest podcast here at the Rio Grande Guardian Studios in McAllen, Texas. Today's podcast is all about healthcare and in particular the opening of a new transplant institute. Doctors Hospital at Renaissance uh, opened its doors to this new uh, facility. There was a ribbon cutting ceremony and guests at the event heard from administrators and transplant institute physicians about the new facility and its role as the only certified kidney transplant center in the Rio Grande Valley. After the event, there were tours of the new facility uh, and a key point that the physicians made was that the valley residents will no longer have to travel outside of the valley to receive all of their transplant care. The liver specialty center will provide patients who may be candidates for a liver transplant. They'll have the opportunity to be evaluated and receive pre- and post-operative liver transplant transplant care close to home without leaving the valley. So in today's podcast, we're going to hear from two physicians, Dr. Luis Almeida and Dr. Philip G. Thomas, as well as a transplant recipient, Mercedes Rivas from McAllen. First up, we have Dr. Luis Almeida, and I asked Dr. Almeida about something he said at the news conference. He said that the Center for Disease Control had flagged the valley as red for danger. So let's hear what he was talking about. Um, sure. The CDC has labeled, uh, the Center for Disease Control has labeled the Rio Grande Valley as a population with a high incidence of liver cancer. Liver cancer comes from a few different reasons. Um, some are genetic, some are from the environment, some are from our diet. Um, but we find that no matter what, there's a lot of it. And there's a lot more than other places. Uh, we have active research happening right now to figure out why. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, what we're trying to do is prevent a lot of it. So by following up with the appropriate physicians, specifically here as an example, we can help try to prevent a lot of that regarding diet, evaluating the liver appropriately, and God forbid there is a problem treating it right away. Uh, so that's what we're here to do. And you made the point it's not just because it's heavily Hispanic here, because if you look at other heavily Hispanic areas around the country, the rates there are not as high. Correct. So part of the research that's ongoing is to figure that question out. We've identified a little bit of a toxin sort of correlates with it, not 100%, um, nothing to really hang your hat on yet. Um, we think it's going to be a combination of genetics and diet at the end. Um, we have a little ways to prove that. Um, other other places in the United States have a lot of alcohol that causes this. Other places in the United States have a lot of hepatitis C that causes this. I think, these are my words, my words are that we'll probably find a combination of diet and genetics that uh, is causing it here. How, much, how long do you think uh, it, it will take your research to prove that? Hopefully within the next uh, year to two, um, we'll be able to help answer some of these questions. And the other heavily Hispanic areas that, uh, that, that are not suffering as badly, you quoted a few. Which were they? Um, where, where you would find a predominantly Hispanic uh, population, maybe Southern California, Arizona, some parts of Arizona, or parts of Chicago with a large, large Latino population maybe parts of Florida that have a large Latino population. There's something about here that's just a little bit higher than everywhere else. What's it like in Mexico, just across the border? Is it, is it just as bad? Yeah, we don't know. Um, we started some international 
collaborations just recently to help figure that's a very good question you have. We want to know that answer too. So hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll be able to compare their population and our population to let you know. We being this hospital or, or this particular institute? Our hospital and even in collaboration with the University of Texas. Okay. What was I going to ask? So for the uh, um, the layperson that doesn't, you know, that's not an he- expert in healthcare, what's the connection between uh, the cancer that you're find, you find you you deal with in, in a liver cancer and someone having a transplant? They're having a transplant because uh, they've they've had got a cancer situation. They've got to be replaced. A tr- liver transplants is one of the options patients that have liver cancer. So if it comes to the point where that's your only option, we're here to help. Got it. Yeah, Got it. help from A to Z. Anything else you'd like to say? No, just thank you for being here. We're mm. very excited. We're very honored to be here. And your name for, for the radio? Sure, it's Dr. Jose Almeida. Almeida. And your transplant surgery MD? Correct. Thank you, Dr. Luis. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was Dr. Luis Almeida at Doctors Hospital Renaissance at the new Transplant Institute. Next, we're going to hear up from a transplant recipient. Mercedes Rivas of McAllen uh, gave very a very moving speech in her, at this uh, press conference stroke ribbon-cutting ceremony. Mercedes had received a, a help from her sister, and uh, she had everyone laughing when she said she's so pleased now that she can go on vacation on her own without her sister being there. So um, I interviewed Mercedes after the press conference was over, and here's what she told us. That was Dr. Luis Almeida from the Transplant Institute, the new Transplant Institute at Doctors Hospital Renaissance. Next, we're going to hear from a transplant recipient, Mercedes Rivas from McAllen. She had help from her sister, and she gave very moving testimony at this ribbon-cutting stroke news conference. And she had people laughing when she said that she's so pleased now that she could go on vacation without her sister being with her at all times. So let's hear from Mercedes Rivas. Very emotional day for you. Yes, very emotional. Blessing. Yeah, I don't want you to have to repeat all that wonderful, those wonderful remarks, but um, tell us about the um, your experience here at this hospital. The experience with the, the Transplant Institute was amazing. The doctors were amazing. They took really good care of us. Very great job. Yeah. And um, your sister's name? Maricela Atwater. She's my donor. Angel. Angel, and now you Please can go all over the yes, world, all over the country like without to. her. Yes. That was the point you wanted to make. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, she kept saying without me. Yes, yes. Anything else you'd like to say? I'd just like to uh, give all the grace and glory to God for everything that he has placed in front of me. Thank you so much. Thank Congratulations. You. Thank you so much. Can I get a quick... That was transplant recipient Mercedes Rivas from McAllen. And uh, the final uh, interview um, during this podcast is coming from Dr. Philip G. Thomas, who's also at the Transplant Institute, the new DHR Health Transplant Institute. What was interesting for me with this interview was uh, Dr. Thomas was telling us how he went back to India uh, earlier in his career, not too long ago, and found an area where his family's from, which had really tremendous health outcomes. They have a very healthy population 
uh, in India that he puts down to education, but not just education in general, but education of uh, women and, and girls. So that's gonna, this is a very interesting uh, conversation for me. So here is Dr. Philip G. Thomas. What's today been all about? It's like a, ground, um, a ribbon cutting for a new center here at DHR. It is a ribbon cutting for the new facility we have uh, as part of the transplant uh, clinic and uh, the transplant unit at DHR. At this point, we've started the kidney transplant, but down the road, we will be adding liver transplants as well. Mm -hmm. And there was some, in your remarks today, there were some specific points that I liked. You were talking about a study early on in your remarks that um, you know, I'd like you to tell us about uh, for the audience, for the radio audience. So the, the study was initiated by people who were looking into healthcare outcomes. Um, the premise was that it's not just sufficient to provide a particular service, but to be able to compare that service with um, some sort of a national standard so that you have a benchmark and the benchmark has to be reached by whoever provides that service. Uh, this is now standard for transplant. Transplant has got a public, um, publicly accessible um, website called the SRTR, the Scientific Results of Transplant. Uh, and it's a registry, so anybody in the public can go and look at the SRTR database and they, you can uh, find a center that is within a certain geographical area and you can look at their outcomes and their outcomes have been compared with the standard worldwide. I, I mean, basically it's the U.S. standard because the U.S. is the world standard now. So um, a center has to be able to uh, reach that standard and the results are statistically analyzed every six months to, um, and published accordingly. And you will your outcomes will be compared with the national uh, standard and you will be described there as being within the statistical mean or not, or if you fall outside it. So uh, these, this principle of center of excellence is very firmly established for transplant. Uh, they will shut you down if you don't reach the standard. So that is true for transplant. But the origins of this was in the 70s and 80s uh, with hepatobiliary and, and pancreas surgery, which is liver, biliary, and pancreas operations. Because these are complex patients, they have many uh, what we call comorbidities. Somebody will come with a pancreatic tumor. He's an older gentleman usually. He'll have cardiac problems, he'll have kidney problems, and then the operation itself is technically complex. So when you put all that together, it needs a team to work on that patient. It's not something a single individual can provide adequately. And when they studied that, they found, for instance, when it relates to a particular operation on the pancreas called the Whipple operation. How did you spell that? W-H-I-P-P-L-E. It's the name of a surgeon who did it, Alan Whipple. And uh, it used to be called the toughest operation to do in, in general surgery, you know, in abdominal surgery. It was the toughest, most difficult, technical, technically most difficult operation. So when they looked at the outcomes of a Whipple operation, they found that there was a pronounced center-specific effect. And centers which were, had more experience and which were doing more than a certain number of these operations every year had better outcomes than centers which only did one or two maybe in a year. 
And when they studied this more and more, first they focused on the surgeons, thinking that it's all a matter of, you know, does a surgeon have enough experience to do the operation well? And surprisingly, they found the center-specific effect was more by the total team. So that if you had a center which was doing more than 20 in a year, even a surgeon who was doing only one or two in a year in that environment would achieve the national benchmark. So it basically means that you have to have a very good team. Some operations are, like I said, uh, not like a tennis match, not like a single tennis game. It's a team game. So the whole team has to work well. Uh, of course, it's nice to have a star. It's nice to have a Kobe Bryant or a, you know, uh, Stephen Curry. But he can't do anything if the rest of the team is not up to speed with him. So, and your goal, therefore, is to get this team uh, at that level to have that experience right. across the, the whole team. Yes. So the our goal was to do that. We I think we've established the team now. We've got our first few outcomes coming in, which have exceeded the national average. But we know that we will be monitored every six months for that and that we have to achieve that standard and retain and, uh, uh, you know, maintain that standard. And you were saying as well that you see your role as the team builder. Correct. So um, I'm um, probably the oldest member of this team now. Uh, I've been doing transplants. Uh, I did my fellowship in 1995. So um, I'm... Uh, senior to them in terms of years of experience but I don't think of myself as coming here like the head honcho um, I'm here as a person who will build the team and I used to work in Galveston and come to the valley every month uh, for the last 10 years um, to see patients who were from here who had to travel to Galveston for their transplants now, patients in the valley are going to Galveston, Houston, San Antonio for their transplants. But when they come home and if something happens, then they don't have often the ability to, to travel back. They don't have the time to travel back. Somebody has to be here to fix it. So I think I have the experience to, to help build our team. And, uh, you know. How uh, long have you been here? I've been here two and a half, two years now. And you came uh, from? I was working in Galveston, uh, and then I took a mission trip to India for a while, where I started a unit of uh, liver and uh, liver and uh, kidney transplant surgery. So it was good, um, valuable experience for me to work in a very, very underserved, underdeveloped place before I came back to the U.S. And this is a place which is underserved for transplant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, as your colleague said you know, um, about this being a red area in terms of the center for yes, now disease the, control. What he said from the point of the red area is that we, we seem to have a, a, a concentration of liver uh, diseases and what they call the metabolic syndrome in the valley. Metabolic syndrome is basically obesity, diabetes, hypertension. And then a whole slew of things which can uh, be associated with these three main things. Uh, what Dr. Almeida was talking about is that they have studied Hispanic populations in other parts of the U.S. And in fact, in other countries, in Central and South America. And they don't have this kind of cluster of illnesses related to um, the metabolic syndrome and related to uh, what what is really 
widely known as fatty liver. The fatty liver and fatty liver disease is uh, now recognized as having a tremendous cluster in the Rio Grande Valley. And there's lots of people who are uh, putting money into studying this. There are at least four drugs uh, that are in the pipeline to try and treat fatty liver. And none of them is at this moment FDA approved. But we have the population here who may be um, good candidates to evaluate those drugs and maybe utilize those drugs down the road. And how does DHR come into all of this? You're, you're committed to having a very robust center here. Yes. Because now, we're, this is like ground zero. Correct. Because oddly enough, in the valley, for instance, we have 20, more than 20 nephrologists who manage kidney disease. There was not a single hepatologist who does liver, who does liver disease. So what DHR has done, and in this uh, umbrella of this clinic, is we have started our liver clinic. We have one full-time hepatologist, and we have a visiting transplant hepatologist from San Antonio. So we evaluate people who have got chronic liver disease, fatty liver disease. We fix those as far as they're fixable, but those who have gone on to end-stage liver disease or have developed cancers um, and are candidates for transplant, we can manage them uh, for transplant elsewhere at this point, and down the road we will be providing transplant as well. Here. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Thomas, is there anything else you would like to add? Anything else you'd like to get the word out to the, to the listeners? What I would like to add is that the concept of healing, you know, is nebulous. I myself don't know what it means. You can, the ultimate cure is to do a transplant. You replace the diseased organ. But that doesn't always heal the person. Healing is often provided by the community. Like they say, it takes a village to raise a, to raise a child. Healing comes to the community and it comes from the community. So when you do a transplant, sometimes people criticize us that, you know, oh, you're spending a million bucks on doing a transplant. How will you ever get a return on that investment from that individual? Now, clearly, you know, it's not the individual who gets the transplant. It's not his responsibility to pay back to society sometimes. It's not possible even. But what I've seen over the years is when a community gets together to help this kind of an individual who has such enormous medical needs, to help him to survive, it strengthens that community. It makes them stronger in ways which come back the return on investment comes back in many, many different ways. A very simple example is, you know, a family getting together to get somebody transplanted, a father who needs a liver transplant. He's, he's had some fatty liver. He's got a liver cancer. Now the whole community, family has to come together to get him transplanted. You'll have a son, a daughter, a cousin. You know, they're fighting among themselves. They don't really see eye to eye. Just when they come together to get their father to survive this, builds that bond and they become stronger than they ever were you know the father may not be the one who, who will return investment return who will provide the return on investment but that family unit has suddenly become so much stronger that that return on investment will come to society through that group and uh, whereabouts in india did you go to help i went to the southern state called kerala it's in the southwest it's where my ancestral home is. My folks come from there. Uh, many people there are called Thomas because we believe St. Thomas 
came to Kerala uh, and started Christianity there. Uh, it's a strange place because they have, um, although it's not financially very well off, they have some of the best health statistics in the world. And the reason they have found is because of the high level of education. And it's not necessarily the level of education that is the, the reason, it's the female's education. Women are educated, uh, almost 100% of the population of women are educated. So in spite of having poverty countries, so developing transplant in that area was what I went back to do. <clears throat> I asked before if there's anything else you'd like to add, so um, any, um, that's it. That's no, a, that's it. I, I just wanted to add the yes, fact of yes. healing being provided mm. from a community, mm. not just from people who can do a transplant. Because we, we only, you know, I tell people um, the donor heals the recipient. I just have to get the plumbing right. And, but that, that is really the way it is. This field of medicine is so strange that it's really the donor who's healing the recipient. And he's doing it free of charge. He's, it's like the firefighters who, you know, everybody runs out of a burning building. The firefighter runs into it. These are crazy people, but they are heroes. They're our heroes. We can't have a society without its heroes. And these donors are our heroes. They heal the patient. They heal our society. I think we saw that today with Mercedes, didn't and, we? And you did indeed, How yes. moving that yes. testimony was. Yes, yeah. exactly. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for so much of your time today, Dr. Oh, Thomas. Pleasure. This like is I said, the... you're a celebrity for me because I hear your voice. <laughs> and now I can picture the face too. Thank you. That was transplant surgeon Dr. Philip G. Thomas from the Transplant Institute that's just opened up at Doctors Hospital at Renaissance. That concludes this uh, podcast about healthcare, transplant issues, and related uh, healthcare issues. Until next time, thank you so much.